And welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Veterinary Kaleidoscope. My name is Kate Tyre. I am a veterinarian, clinical veterinarian in Batemans Bay on the south coast of New South Wales in Walbunja land of the Yuan Nation. I am also a trans woman. And I am Cam. I am a veterinarian, PhD researcher. Oh, a few other things. I feel like I say something different every time and I never quite get it right. Uh, <laughs> I am a Palawar man from the far south in Tassie and I'm currently in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country. Awesome. Thanks, Cam. And this episode, we are joined by Shani McGowan. Uh well, I've known Shani for a while now, and Cam has known Shani for a while as well. Uh, mm-hmm. As usual, I think we'll let Shani introduce herself because I, I hate those introductions where people introduce you and go, ooh, they've done all this and that sort of thing. So <laughs> I'm going to let you introduce yourself however you like, Shani. Oh, my, thank you. So I'm Shani. Uh, I have um, been a graduate of University of Melbourne Vet School since 2011. And um, I, every year that gets further and further away. <laughs> um, I am here on, um, I'm here on Woiwurrung country uh, in the north of Melbourne today. And after approximately 10 years in clinical practice where I geared my obsession towards animal behaviour and um, feline medicine, I jump ship and I'm now a scientific services veterinarian for Royal Cannon, which the role is is quite diverse, but um, it does have a lot of uh, teaching involved, both internally and externally, and has also made room for me to uh, represent the Australia and New Zealand market as a inclusion and diversity um, committee member for Mars. So Mars Australia and New Zealand um, is our greater company and very proudly um, on that committee and part of the Reconciliation Action Plan Group. And, yeah, so all sorts of things are happening in my life at the moment Um, and I'm owned by two cats, Louis and Mittens. (laughs) Awesome. Oh, and I have. Oh, and I have a. I have a husband as well. He's he's lovely. I, I like that. Hey, you take it on the end. I've got. I'm owned by two cats, but I've. I've got a husband. Like he's. he's there I own him too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Yeah. Sort of, the cats own you. You own the husband. Like sort of. He's gonna. He's gonna put up with like the car maybe or something. You know it, darling. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Not a hassle. So, uh, what have we been up to, people? How have we been going? Really good, really good. Recording a recording a podcast for um, for Mars Global on equity, wow. inclusion, and diversity. And the first introductory three minute teaser episode has just gone out this week, and it's had some really positive sentiment. It's called Unmuted, and we're having difficult conversations, um, nice. which I am the host of. So. Mm. Very, very exciting times. Yeah. Cool. That sounds really good. And Cam, Christmas and New Year and all that sort of type of thing? Yeah, good to get a couple of weeks away. 
um, had a little bit of time in in Tassie, um, just trying to oh, get down there was felt like a pretty big obstacle in the first place, <laughs> yeah. getting my, um, just managing to get my 72 hour tests, which feels like it was several iterations of entry requirements ago now. Um, but it was, yeah, it felt really good to finally get there and, and um, be pinching myself that I'd actually, actually got back home. Um, so that was really lovely getting down to Tassie. Um, even got down onto country down in, uh, down in Cockle Creek, down about as, nice. about as far as you can go, which was just beautiful. Um, hadn't been down there in quite a few years. Um, it's a, yeah, bit of a drive, um, but I do love getting down there when I can. So is that like Wait. East Coast or was that? Um, Southeast Coast. So basically keep keep driving if you go through um through Hewenville, um south of hobart um keep going and keep going and keep going and just keep going until there's no more road basically and then that's it um so down around that that sort of area um an area that i used to spend a little bit of time you know my grandpa would go fishing there a lot and that's where he grew up um, in a tiny little house down there. So, yeah, just getting to relive some memories down there was pretty special. When was the last time that you were down in Tassie seeing your family and being on country? I was pretty lucky to get down there uh, ooh, middle of last year, I think. I th- I've just managed to dodge a few lockdowns in Melbourne and, and managed to get down there, um, unfortunately, most of the time when I, I go down, Melbourne has gone into a lockdown and sometimes that's meant that I then get a, a notification from the Tasmanian government saying, get out or lockdown in your house in Tassie anyway. So it's either lockdown in Tassie or lockdown in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but that's just the world we live in now, I guess. So <laughs> I've been lucky to get down at all, really. I feel very fortunate. I think it's sort of, it's been a challenge for everyone, hasn't it? Sort of being able to see relatives, get to places that we used to take for granted. Yeah, despite it feeling so so close, you know, it's only a, you know, with a tailwind of 50-minute flight, um, it can feel, feel a long way away sometimes. Uh, my Christmas New Year uh, was, wasn't bad. At least came back from Adelaide, which was good. Then she had to go back home to Adelaide because I think the rules, as as you mentioned, can the rules around um, travelling interstate have changed about twenty times? I think since mm. December now, it's just ridiculous, the poor thing. So sort of, she's uh, back there now, which is um, uh, and just about she should have actually done her first day clinical placements today, which um, oh cool. But, but it was nice to have her back for Christmas. So was, we're kind of lucky. Most of family, most of our family is basically here, so we don't have to travel for Christmas and New Year. Uh, then downside was it was so wet. Oh my goodness, the rain and trash the surf. I'm so disappointed. I had like a week off between Christmas and New Year, wind up for surfing, and it was just hopeless. Oh <laughs> no. 
Um, uh, but which sounds very first world, doesn't it? I sort of whole week lined up for <laughs> surfing and I just couldn't go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's important to you, and it's self an act of self care. So yeah, yeah, it's, I think it's, that's it's, universal. I think that's it. So the probably surfers and the ocean is my possibly a bit like your cockle bay there sort of uh, cam like that's that's my sort of spot it's sort of uh, it's out there past the breakers just sitting on the board and uh looking down through the water um kind of half hoping i'd like i'd like to see a shark one day i think that'd be kind of cool um so we get lots of dolphins which is really nice so oh, wow. which is, yeah which is really awesome so we are actually, believe it or not, we are a diversity podcast. We're not actually a travel podcast, um, despite, <laughs> sort of despite our discussion. We are a diversity podcast. Uh, so, Shani, would you like to tell us a little bit about your diversity journey? Thank you. Um, so my, we'll start with my pronouns. My pronouns are she, they, and I um, use that as a bit of a conversation starter and to kind of provoke people into recognising that not everyone is as they would appear to, to that person. Um, and I, you know, really enjoy having people ask, like, oh, why, why? why is your pronoun she, they, and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it comes down to um, my intersectionality. And my intersectionality is quite invisible at times. So I am intersex and I also identify as pansexual. So... Let's start with intersex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We might sort of do, can we, do, can we do a little, we might just do a little bit of an insert there on they pronouns because uh, it's not something we've had a couple of uh, guests so far, but most of our guests have been binary, um, uh, he, him or she, her, uh, and certainly I'm binary, she, her, I use she, her pronouns. Um, but uh, they pronouns, Shani, did you want to... Uh, have a little sort of uh, talk about that. Commonly used by uh, people who uh, identify as non-binary, although not necessarily exclusively, but sort mm-hmm. of, yeah. Yeah. So that I use, um, I use they pronouns as a nod to my intersex as I see that as non-binary. So I, um, Intersex Human Rights Australia has some, great resources for all things intersexual learning Um, and they have this beautiful definition on their website which is intersex people have innate sex characteristics that don't fit medical and social norms for male or female bodies and that can create risks or experiences of stigma discrimination and harm so sex characteristics are physical features relating to sex including chromosomes genitals gonads hormones and other reproductive anatomy and secondary features that emerge from puberty. So I think in that, in that definition space, um, we, I, I would like to pause and recognise that that does not specify like particular biological characteristics or birth assignment, legal status, gender, gender identity or sexual orientation. So um, 
you know, us intersex people, we don't um, share any identity. Um, we're a very diverse population and um, there's a lot of intersectionality there. Um, and those of us that are old enough to freely express an identity could be heterosexual or not. They could be cisgender, um, which is identifying with the sex that was assigned at birth um, or not. So mm. I think yeah. that's it, it's really important to, uh, and I think it, it, not always an easy one to get your head around the difference between you got to decouple gender and sex, don't you? Yeah, sort yep. of. Uh, mm. It's um, it's a really important one is to decouple that concept of gender versus sex being those physical, physical and physiological sort of anatomical and physiological characteristics. So uh, yeah, the the way that I um the way that I describe it quite often to people who are asking curious questions um is is that the intersex is the biology um it is the you know, the physiological um, attributes and biology, whereas um, gender is more of a, a, a self-reflection or a image of self um, or projection of self. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's the way that I tend to tend Resid to offer the distinction to people, yeah. Residual self-image for Matrix fans, if, you, if oh, anyone's yeah. a bit of a Matrix fan. So um, uh, sort of a bit of a nod out to the original Matrix. Um, yeah. Um, do so, you yeah, I think, oh, sorry, sorry. I, think, I think of intersex as um, a bit of a spectrum between male and femaleness um, that is just nature at its most diverse and it's incredibly beautiful to be uh, on a spectrum um, because we're all so different. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind me asking, have you always known or when did you find out? Because a lot of people do not find out that they are intersex or have intersex characteristics. Um, uh, so uh, was your journey... How was your journey to that? How much sort of are you happy to explain some of your journey to the to that knowledge? Yeah, no worries. It was it's been relatively um, relatively recent that I've come to become aware of my intersection intersexuality. Um, it was it was through um, following of um, diverse. Um, content on social media, um, accounts such as Blair Armani or, um, you know, uh, LGBTI, Oz, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I do a lot of micro learning through social media. So I follow a lot of diverse accounts and, and that's how I like accumulate knowledge with my little ADHD brain, <laughs> neurodiversity <laughs> for the win. And, um, yeah, it was actually through like seeing posts about intersexuality and um, and things like that that I started to like question my own uh, sex, and I was like, oh, I yeah, I have PCOS and and I have some androgynous traits and I have you know some maleness traits like um, I. I put on muscle really easily. I carry my weight really low around my belly um, like men do. And, you know, it was through finding out some of these things and I was like, oh, 
Oh, I'm into sex. How about that? Um, but it's been quite towards the end of my rainbow journey. So I figured, I figure sort of it was, I don't actually remember the the exact moment yeah. because it was sort of very gradual and just sort of a bit of a, a yeah, just gradual acceptance yeah. um, rather than just a like, oh, actually, you know, it, it was a, a, quite different to my coming out as bi because I was a lot more, I was a rainbow baby then. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so put the, the bi flag on and just, Oh, the bi, well, yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was a bit of emotion around the bi um, thing. We'll get to that later. <laughs> but but with the intersex thing, it was kind of like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that checks out. All right, next. <laughs> It was, you know, it was it was not too huge of a moment for me, but I found that it was um, something that I get very excited about because it's like a teachable moment when people learn that I'm into sex. I love to mm. use that as an opportunity to educate them around um, the non-binary and the diversity within the rainbow community. Let's talk about your other um, you know, other diversity that we touched on just then, and you identify as pansexual, I believe. Yes. Uh, so, uh, again, we might sort of do, I guess, a little bit of a um, uh, public service announcement on definitions, uh, <laughs> sort of, uh, um, and please also just remember these are kind of our takes and sort of uh, and how we describe them. Uh, they're not necessarily, there's no set in stone is my sort of, uh, is my thing on this. And and some people have different takes. Uh, some people equate bisexuality. Some people who are pansexual are quite happy to equate bisexuality and pansexuality. Um, but my take on pansexuality is you kind of aren't that worried about someone's gender. Like you sort of, you are basically your attraction to them is essentially beyond their gender. Like it's sort of there's no spectacular sort of gendered element to, to your attraction. And I would probably say that, honestly, I would identify as pansexual, um, although I've got some pretty strong femme leanings in my preferences. <laughs> um, uh, but... Um, yeah, how do you feel on on the identifying as pan, and how do you describe yourself uh, or that aspect of your that aspect of your um, life and sexuality? Yeah, so it's been quite the journey. Um, in my twenties, I identified as straight. I'd been raised in quite the religious, homophobic household, as you do in country Victoria, and. When I, when I was drunk, I would become sexually aggressive with my friends and in hindsight that was quite antisocial and somewhat regrettable. So if any of my friends are listening, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Retro <laughs> retrospective apology. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and very, very heartfelt. Um, but I'm really lucky that I have friends that were quite forgiving and found my antics more entertaining than anything else. So I love you guys. 
Um, it was my sibling coming out as gay that educated me contrary to the beliefs that I'd been taught as a child and began to open my mind to the greater rainbow community. So I came to realize that I was sexually attracted to women after marrying my beautiful husband. And it was, I've been a longtime listener of Joy 94.9, which is a rainbow community um, radio station. Yep, down in and Melbourne, people. So, unfortunately, I think it is available on the web. Some uh, yes. does great, some great radio stuff. Yeah. yeah, they do amazing podcasts and yeah. content. So, I've been listening to their show Triple Bypass and started to identify with a lot of the content. So, that was a bisexual leaning um, show that they had on. I think it was a Wednesday night. And after I'd taught my gym class, I'd drive home and I'd listen to Triple Bypass in the car. And I became really anxious about coming out as bi to my husband because I had no idea how he'd take it. And I was talking to a friend, actually a very wise friend, and she said uh, it went something like, surely his biggest concern is you and how you're feeling. If it were the reverse, you would want to make the situation as comfortable as possible. And it clicked. It was not my secret to bear, but it was my secret to share. Um, so of course hubby was super accepting, um, of my bisexuality. He listened, he asked respectful questions and was as supportive as I'd hoped and expected him to be the only concern, or it was more a curiosity really that he had for himself was, (laughs) does this mean I'm still straight? Um, yes, dear, you're, you're (laughs) extremely straight. (laughs) (laughs) You can sort of talk about that because I'm like, because uh, Tara probably at times certainly would still identify as straight. She's in a relationship with a woman. Yep. So where does that kind of place you and what does it mean to yeah. to, to sort of anyone? Well, um, I, um, I present as femme and I identify mm. as femme mm. um, apart from my, like, yeah, non-binary and in, in inter, intersex characteristics and things, but um, I definitely see myself on the spectrum of sex to be much closer to femme than I am male. Um, with my husband being attracted to someone who presents as femme and everything like that, then he, yeah, is still heterosexual and he's definitely cis and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did did you ever feel, how, how did you feel that it was sort of, did you ever feel that that was like, hang on, this isn't really about you, it's kind of about me? Um, or were you sort of quite happy that it's like just in terms of the reassurance, like it's okay, hun, like you're still straight. That's sort of, there's no yeah, need to Yeah, yeah, it. It, um, it was after like conversation and um, it was after he had already asked like, you know, are, are you okay? How do you feel about your new discovery mm. about yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's incredibly empathetic. It does and, sound incredibly sweet. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Dougie is the best. Um, yeah. Everybody loves Dougie. <laughs> um, and, yeah, he's definitely the sweetest. And, yeah, it was, you know, we were sitting on the couch and, Dougie's an internal processor, so he was very quiet throughout the whole thing and I kind of went, 
all right, so I've opened up about that. Mm. I knew that Dougie would need to like take some time mm. to process it, think of some questions or, you know, conversation about it and then come back to me after a time. And um, thankfully through our um, couples therapy sessions, we've learned that about each other and that was something that I could be very comfortable with as an external processor <laughs> and yeah, someone cool. who's very like extroverted and things like that. So yeah, I was able to be like, okay, that was my expectation of the conversation was I go to him. We have a, a small conversation. He goes away, thinks about it, comes back to me and I can be like, okay, so, you know, if you got any further questions or anything like that. And, and he was just very cool with it all. And, um, you know, he'd ask some clarity questions and was very, very nice coming out story. Very, very supportive. That does sound super sweet. Did he ask you, do you still love him? No, he didn't. Um, Okay. That's kind of cool. Because the usual, the usual trans ones are, do you still love me? Are you gay? Um, Do you want to transition? Like when you come out as sort of trans or non-binary, yep. um, uh, sort of that, that's, you can pretty well guarantee those three questions will happen sometime within the first half a dozen conversations. <laughs> um, yeah. Sort yeah. Of thing. Um, and honestly, it's sort of interesting. I actually like to ask you, Cam, because as you sort of mentioned, Shani, you grew up essentially kind of believe like had this thing oh I'm straight like sort of uh, and we've got a social like a whole heap of social mores that sort of uh, really um, places in this straight sort of thing and and I'd probably say that would have been very similar for me I grew up thinking I was straight not really knowing how to place myself in the world then being I kind of came to a con like to the idea of uh, identifying as trans before like sort of still really identifying as very strongly female attracted and almost exclusively female attracted I probably would have said uh, and then I guess through transitioning probably feeling more comfortable with myself um, uh, I was like actually you know I kind of don't care like I genuinely do not care what your gender is. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of more interested in, uh, in sort of who you are um, and your gender. It sort of, it starts to become really secondary, and, and people are interesting to me because of who they are as people. And and I probably, for what it's worth, I actually find sort of without being too harsh, just bland, cis, sort of straight, being a little bit less attractive than something that's a little bit out on the edge. That's sort of uh, where I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like it just ticks my brain over. Um, But as our token straight person or identifying as straight at the the stage, Cam, sort of, uh, um. Do you have a perspective on this? I'm not going to try and sort of, uh, because I, I actually just assume that everyone that I meet is queer now until they tell me that they're expressly tell me they're straight. I think it's just easier, like sort of. Um, yeah, um, I like that approach. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I've, yeah, I've had a lot of interesting, interesting discussions 
um, on that topic with a whole range of different people. I remember one of the first sort of discussions I had was with um, my my aunties um, in um, in Seattle who um, they're not not my aunties by blood, but you know those sort of aunties. Um, who are, are lesbians and sort of speaking about this this spectrum that we're all on um, and how, yeah, you, I think it's a, it's a great approach to have to, um, to assume queer until proven otherwise. Um, and I frequently, frequently have people assume I'm gay. Um, I, don't, I don't really know why. Um, I take absolutely you're so, no, no you're offense so to it. because you're so gorgeous, uh, Kim. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> basically we're like, ooh. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, and, yeah, and most most of the time that has been um, from other people who are, who are gay um, and, I yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if anyone can exactly put their finger on it. I certainly can't. Um, but as far as I know, for now I'm straight, but who knows? I don't know. I just sort of bumble around in this weird world and, um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting people out there. So I don't, I don't know. For now that's, that's what I identify as. But, yeah, that's me, I guess. <laughs> totally exactly and that that kind of leads us on a little bit i think shani to your marriage as you mentioned uh mm-hmm. to um to your lovely husband who sounds gorgeous and obviously wasn't allowed on this podcast because he would just be too gorgeous and we just start talking to him too much exactly. but, um, you, you caught you caught me out <laughs> so um but that does uh so I guess a lot of people, there is still a lot of assumption out there that if you're bi or or, or pan or if you're in a if you're in a say a straight seeming relationship that therefore you're straight uh, and you've obviously been in a long term bonded relationship. So that there's this concept of invisibility that I'd kind of like to touch on um, within that and and how. How that feels and and sort of uh, and how you feel about that how you used to feel is that changing how do you yeah where do you sort of uh, where do you think that's going I think initially um, we had we had a rainbow wedding uh, when we got married because that was a bit of a nod to um, our rainbow and queer friends who couldn't get married at the time um, that was. 2014 when we got married um so before the plebiscite before the change in um same-sex marriage so I guess for a while I'd sort of been like an advocate for rainbow equality to discover that then I was actually part of that community and not simply an ally was a moment of celebration for me um because I held so much respect and celebration for rainbow individuals who are living their truth that to, yeah, to discover that 
I was actually a part of that community rather than a bystander. Well, the FOMO in me was just really happy. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like I, um, I can go to the parties legit now. <laughs> right, right. So, um, yeah, so the first, um, I guess, identity that I explored was bisexuality. And then over the years, listening to rain, uh, radio, following rainbow friendly and advocacy accounts on social media, I really came to grow my understanding of the rainbow community and my own preferences so that my interpretation of pansexuality is an extension of bisexuality. So I'd realized that I'm not attracted to binary men and women, but to individuals. And again, that shift necessitated another conversation with my husband, which was on the couch and it was super easy. And it kind of went along the lines of, um, Hey babe, you know how I came out as bi well, I'm actually Pan, and he goes, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think once, cool. <laughs> once, yeah, once you got over the initial buy thing, it's like, like Pan's like it's almost yeah. taken, it's almost yeah. a given. <laughs> exactly. And so, and then it was my realisation on intersex. The, the complexity of my identities became a bit more convoluted or complexity of my intersectionality became uh, a bit more complex as our bonding and understanding of each other grew and deepened and became more complex at the same time too. So it was kind of like these parallels of becoming closer and closer and more and more comfortable with who we are as ourselves and who we are as a partner to one another, yeah, those intersectionalities became more complex and and yeah. discovered as well. Yeah. So as opposed to what it was looking like to people, like it was more about mm. who it was to, to the two of you. Yeah. Of, uh, and I've seen through both Dougie's and my personal growth and our growth as a couple, I can see so clearly now how and why many people become divorced, even if they, you know, still love their partner or have love for their partner, but they no longer want to be married. Um, because I am not the same person that Dougie married in 2014. Um, I've grown so much. I've evolved so much. And I'm just so, so grateful that we've grown and evolved in the same direction because it's so easy in this life to grow apart and find other diverging interests or diverging um, yeah. identities, pathways in life. Mm. Pathways in life. Mm. And I don't know how, I don't know why, but our paths just continue to run in parallel and just so easily, um, yeah, I have I have a lot of gratitude for my relationship and my marriage so much. Yeah. yeah. And that, and are you perceived as just a straight couple when you're out normal? Yeah. Yeah. Does it yep. annoy you? Like, or do you kind of just, is it just like something that's just, or does it even register? Like, does it? It, it a lot of the time it, um, it doesn't register because that's how I've been raised and that's my, um, yeah. my default. 
Um, but that's also why, partly why I've taken on the pronoun she, they, and I'm, I am considering having my birth certificate and my passport changed to reflect mm-hmm. my intersex. Um, because I want people to, I want people to stop and think. I want people to not assume that everyone's cishet and that, you know, there's so much more diversity out there, and there are people who are just sort of screaming to be seen, and their their existence is invalidated every day, and I see it as part of my kind of duty. As, as someone who can bear that emotional responsibility and that emotional labour, more than happy to do it because I know that there are so many struggling out there um, that that deserve that support. It can be challenging. Cam, you are diversely, invisibly diverse for a different reason to Shetty. Um, uh, mm. Not because we're sort of, we're going to claim you as queer one day, trust me, don't worry. But it's sort of, but um, not because of that. But um, uh, as as we've talked about previously on this podcast, you are white passing uh, as an Aboriginal man. I'd, I'd really like to, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And, and, and as I sort of said to... Shani, is it something, does it register? Is it something that annoys you? Is it, how do you feel about that? And- I think I've been through phases. There, there have definitely been times in my life where I, I would have loved to have had darker skin, to have looked more like other Indigenous people. Um, I think part of that in particular is being being Palawa and combating that myth of Tasmanian Aboriginal people being extinct. I think I wanted to be and embody that that visible element. I think over time, and and I think I, as I've discussed before, I've I've you know tried to do tried to sometimes think of ways that that I could. Um, could change the way I, I look. Um, it was part of the reason why I got the tattoo on on my arm of an ochre handprint, which um, I, which I still think is very cool and very. <laughs> <laughs> I guess just to give myself, um, you know, for for me more than anything else, um, just something on me that you know is a visible stamp um, of of who I am, and then. I think at other times I kind of go the other way as well, where I maybe have come to a bit of an understanding of myself that I don't don't need it. And in fact, maybe I've been focusing a bit too much on the invisibility of it, that in the invisibility of, of so many traits in in diversity is actually part of the beauty of it all um and there are so many people who who are diverse and and have so many amazing diverse aspects about themselves um that can be celebrated anyway um without 
needing to see it. Um, and yeah, that's a, a part of the amazing experience that we can all have as, as people in general um, without, yeah, necess- necessarily needing to see it. So I, I think I've, I've kind of, yeah, gone, gone in both directions and I'm still not sure where I settle for myself. Um, but yeah, it's not really much of an answer, is it? <laughs> no, no, I actually, I like it because I, I, I would agree with you. And I go through phases as well of just being so loud. Oh my God. I think poor Tara must just be embarrassed as it's, it's sort of the, the loudness with which I can be so loudly transcribed. Um, and then there are other times where it's just like, I just want to, I just want to get through the day. I, and, and do I have to be that loud? Do, do, is it, is it really, what, are, what am I achieving in being that loud and, uh, and out there? And I don't think there's, I mean, I, I guess like all questions, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Sort of feel like all well, like all really interesting questions. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer uh, on this. So I, I completely get where you're coming from. To be honest, Cam. Yeah. The pride is always there. Um, you know, mm. I, I, you know, I'm still as are we all gearing up for the 26th of this month? Um, mm. is, a day uh, which I do not observe. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a real so, it's a hard yeah. one. Once it's again, a, we'll be out in force, but um, mm. yeah, Def- definitely. And sort of uh, so, it is a sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, it all it sort of always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Where uh, so uh, yeah, that's uh, and that, and I think when you come to days like that, you probably also sort of well I certainly feel like coming up to say trans like sort of uh, trans awareness day um uh, you then I'm probably I'm more likely to be more out there and more sort of mm-hmm. trying to be sort of uh, really accentuating uh, things but I like your I, I like the thought that you had there Cam though of there, there's so many invisible elements of diversity that we don't our culture has become so incredibly five second uh audio grab instant visual focused at times i think we do lose the elements of diversity that are invisible and and the really interesting stuff because we just don't take the time yeah, and I think that there's, I don't know, there's there's just, and, you know, I can only speak for myself, but there's just something that you can't really describe and it's not in, um, it's not a visual thing, it's not, you know, the way I sound, it's just like with everybody, I guess it's just that something that makes you, you, um, and so, yeah, I guess the realization of me trying to pin it so much on the way that I look um, was maybe a bit, a bit 
a bit simplistic, probably. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What do you think, Jenny? The sort of uh, we pin it like you're a you're a intersex, non-binary identifying, very femme person. Like a sort of uh, this is a the way you look is very much up your alley there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's why um I think that's when I uh adopted the hairstyle that I have, which is the the, oh, which I reckon looks amazing. I, oh, I love it. I think it's gorgeous. <laughs> the bi the bi babies always do a shaved side of hair. It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's a bisexual like a thing. It's yeah. a uniform. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that that coincided with my coming out, and I think it's sort of like a, a badge of queerness. Um, you know, again with like my adorning with uh, more piercings and things like that, is that I want to. Yeah, I think that I think that it's in a desire to express the invisible. Um, that you know, I want people to look at me and mm-hmm. know that I'm a bit different. Um, and I think that that comes out in the way that I present in in my identity. Because, um, I mean, how else do you do it? Like, other than putting a badge on that says my pronouns are she they, which I've actually got right here. <laughs> And for the listeners, Jenny is holding up a lovely little uh, badge that has she slash they pronouns on. It actually looks very flash. Is it? It, Is that a royal cannon badge or is it? Oh no, no! It's got two things on the back. It's got two things on the back. That's not going. That's not going anywhere. No, that is is definitely not going anywhere. So that's going. That's going on my work lanyard. I'm very proud mm, about that one. Definitely. You're, the way you sort of said, like it, being able to express that invisibility, I think sort of the, and we talk about expression, like gender is for, like for me, my explanation of gender is it is something very internal. Like it's, it's in a way, gender, the concept of who you are as a gender is kind of invisible. Like it's really only known mm-hmm. to you. Uh, and unless you express it. Uh, And the reason I think a lot of trans people do express their gender fairly uh, fairly openly and and quite sort of uh, and broadcast it fairly heavily is because we uh, have had so many years of internal conflict on actually having that gender reinforced uh, that we, we want to get that mirroring and that reinforcement from from society to affirmation that affirmation exactly affirmation was the word I was looking for thank you um and although equally I will pretty well nine times out of ten I will wear something that has trans pride flag colors it's sort of uh, it's and certainly at a public event I will almost like an eventary event uh i will it's pretty rare that i just basically present in a purely feminine manner that's not that doesn't have something acknowledging uh my trans identity uh and uh i noticed cam that a lot of uh certainly locally uh it's a lot of uh, our uh, uh, Aboriginal community locally will 
typically tend to actually very common down here for them to be wearing uh, the wonderful sort of uh, the indigenous print jerseys and and sort of uh, and those other things. Uh, the uh, Indigenous print face masks, which please source them ethically from people who sort of film <laughs> that. And, but, from people um, who are actually Indigenous. Who are actually Indigenous. Not yeah. people just, not people, <laughs> not people appropriating the print. Yes. Mm. Um, but that's sort of uh, really common. Is that something that you do, Kim, or is it sort of just? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, several, you know, I'm, I'm not a particularly snappy dresser, as I'm sure you're aware in my scrappy-looking T-shirt. Yeah. Um, but I have many, many, many T-shirts with um, with the flag or with um, Indigenous designs on them. Um, several educational programs that I've been involved in where um, we get some amazingly designed um, T-shirts um, des- designed by Indigenous artists. Um, I guess one of the things about about the Aboriginal flag in particular, it's not the case with the Torres Strait Islander flag, but um, are the legalities around the licensing of it. So um, there's been the Free the Flag campaign um, and, and several people where there have been, because there is still the, um, the ownership of the flag by its original designer and then licensing by him um, to clothing producers for, for use of the flag. Um, sometimes those, those licensees have not been Indigenous and they've taken it upon themselves to sue other people using the flag on, on clothing um, and other things for which they hold the licence. So sometimes there have been some legal things wrapped up in all of that, which has made it really hard and, and particularly hard for some people to represent themselves as Indigenous um, by by wearing those things when you want to try to source something from Indigenous designers and, and producers. And just this week, past couple of weeks, there's been something in the news about um, and on social media, um, somebody trying to claim uh the trademark for always was always will be um for exclusive use on clothing um a guy in sydney i think um who's not indigenous um i shut the front door (laughs) that has since been withdrawn because there was a huge movement on social media so fingers crossed that's all done with um but unfortunately, there are some people engaging in some pretty predatory behaviour when it comes to, to things like that in particular, where um, there are, yeah, there is money to be made. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a difficult area sometimes, but um, there are some absolutely amazing Indigenous um, designers of clothing, jewellery, all sorts of things. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot of... A lot of great ways to to find them out there. So I'd encourage any listeners to support Indigenous uh, businesses out there. Mm. If I may, um, some of the Indigenous artists are getting super creative with the flag colours and representation of the flag without displaying the flag itself, um, which I think some of those designs have been, they're totally beautiful. And I think that in a way, if it weren't, that for the flag being 
copyrighted, then th- some of these designs wouldn't exist. But for, yeah, it's a great. But point. but um, I think we would all much rather that the flag be free. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting because the color set is it's one of those unique color sets, isn't it? Almost mm. like black, red, yellow. Uh, it's it's very noticeable. Certainly on my social media feeds, like if if I see black, red, yellow hearts, uh, that's immediately for me. That's Aboriginal sort of, uh, um, uh, and uh, in the same way that that the blue, uh, like the blue, the white, baby, and pink, yeah, the blue, white, pink is uh, you know you sort of as soon as as soon as I see that color scheme, it's just such an unusual color scheme. To, to sort of to um, it's sort of for, for, to actually see generally sort of but like unless you actually know what the color scheme sort of means if you know what I mean so uh, yeah but it's a it's a challenging web sort of uh, the the trans the the blue white pink the trans flag actually was painfully sort of uh, was designed by a lady called Monica Helms and she actually deliberately did not patent it uh, and actually took out, she did something, she's American, she's actually, she's an ex, ex-Navy um, uh, sort of in the US uh, and uh, still alive, lovely lady. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it actually can't be licensed, uh, which is awesome because it means That's you can, so cool. yeah, you can kind of put it anywhere. Um, so, but, uh, uh, and I've seen some really, really impressive efforts at using those colours. Um, can we talk for a minute? We've sort of been, we'd uh, go for about an hour, still got a little bit sort of uh, we can talk about. Uh, I wouldn't mind talking for a little minute about some intersex issues and a little bit about the uh just differentiating between the intersex, I guess some of the overlap, some of the intersectionality between intersex and trans issues, but also some of the differences. Uh, so sort of I know, Shani, you've been in, I will sort of hand over to you to talk about sort of some of those intersex uh, issues that still exist, like still sort of some of the discrimination oh, yeah. and uh, and horrible treatment that still exists at the uh, for intersex people. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people don't know that a lot of um, intersex people have had non-consensual surgeries performed on them, especially when they're infants, and that's still happening today. And these are um, often surgeries performed on genitalia that have absolutely no medical benefit whatsoever. Um, If we left these individuals as nature beautifully made them, there would be no medical repercussions. However, doctors and parents are still under the erroneous um, belief that these children must fit a binary and their traits of maleness or femaleness must fit that gender binary and society's expectations. And it is a completely social surgery that is occurring on um, individuals that are not consenting for it. And 
there's uh, a lot of um, preliminary study to indicate that individuals who are left to be their natural selves um, suffer far less uh, mental health issues, um, you know, gender dysphoria, uh, things like that um, when they're when they're left to be themselves. Yeah. Um, Mm. Yeah. And I think we want to make clear here, we're not talking about sort of uh, surgeries that to address life-threatening conditions. Um, uh, we're talking about these are still, there are still surgeries that are being performed, things such as uh, hyperspadia corrections, uh, um, uh, other surgeries that are non-essential surgeries. I think the thing that I sort of... Uh, I tend to emphasize, and I am absolutely these the the idea of performing a surgery without a person's consent on them is beyond to me. Like a non-essential surgery without a person's consent is just beyond. There's a difference when we're talking about essential surgeries, uh, sort of, uh, but performing a non-essential, what is essentially a cosmetic surgery, on someone without them being able to consent. Uh, is just beyond. And that's also not to say that that individual may not choose to have a surgery at a later date, uh, sort of uh, when they are able to consent mm. is, the, is the absolute critical element here for me. Absolutely. And um, we, I think to, to really put it into terms that, you will be able to understand the nature of it. And I'm speaking to everybody here from my heart to yours, is these forced interventions are actually genital mutilation. That the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights in 2019 determined that they are distinguished from medical interventions, um, that you know that these are not like the inability to urinate or you know high cancer risk or things like that these are not for health but these are mutilations that are carried out on social cultural and technical rationales and the consequences of early and unnecessary deferrable interventions can result in pain and trauma shame uh, loss of sexual function and sensation, um, urinary incontinence, um, need for ongoing medical treatment or repeat surgeries, um, experiences of violation and, and um, sexual assault, reinforcement of incorrect sex assignment or gender, mm. um, gender assignment. Gender assignment, exactly. Uh, loss of auto- autonomy, loss of choice. Like, you know, yeah, it's early exposures to general anesthesia are actually now associated with developmental delays as there was a study in 2018 that, that um, demonstrated. So we need to be like minimizing anesthesia as general anesthesia in infants as much as possible. And these are completely, you know, yeah, the UN's condemned the practices and it's still happening in Australia, in New Zealand, in developed countries, all around the world. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and it's purely and simply down to a societal construct 
of a binary concept of both sex and gender and a conflation of the two for sort of mm. uh, uh, and so it's just it, it and it simply comes down to for me and this is where I think there's an intersectionality I think with trans and gender diverse people sort of uh, is it comes down to bodily autonomy is basically if you have if you are able to consent to sort of uh, to having an intervention done on your body, you should be able to get that done. Equally, if you are not able to consent to have an intervention done on your body, and that body and that can that intervention is cosmetic, uh, which which these surgeries on intersex infants are, um, then that should not be done. It, mm. It's it's a simple matter of can the individual consent or not, and if they can consent, have they consented? Have they requested? The surgery and if they have do it like this isn't rocket science this mm. isn't sort of hard I mean if, if someone if a trans person comes to you and says or that um or if an individual comes and says I'm trans I really do not like my breasts and I would like them removed thank you uh and they are fully sort of they are an adult and they understand the consequences and they're able to give consent uh, which, quite frankly, is pretty much anyone over the age of sixteen, realistically. Um, uh, then, uh, at, at the at the at the youngest, possibly even fourteen for some individuals, but we'll leave that on aside for the moment. Then that is up to the individual. It's not society's position to sort of go, oh, but no, you need breasts because you're a woman. What? No, no. Sort of uh, for a start. Since when did sort of uh, since when did you? get to say, no, you can't remove your breast, but yes, I can whack in a bloody two-litre breast implant, no worries. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it sort of, it does get my goat up this one. <laughs> it's sort of, um, uh, it's a little. I see it, I, I see it as, as a very, um, a very close parallel to, um, you know, beginning hormone therapy for hmm. young children who desire to transition that if it's really important, then the intersex surgery, if it's really important to that individual, then sure, intersex surgeries can be um, yeah. performed. Um, but, you know, the individual's got to understand it and request it and consent yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, you, know, you can't do that when you're six months old. No, well, <laughs> certainly can't no. do it when you sort of, uh, um, you know, when you're one month old or sort of... Uh, and the and the and the worst part is is that um, these doctors and th these parents are thinking that they're doing the best thing for the child, then, and then, we really need to educate and get at the information out there that this is so harmful. Hmm. Um, it is in no way the best um, action for that individual. In fact, it actively creates harm. These are not bad parents. These are not, not even sort of, they're not even bad doctors. They're just sort of, they're people who believe they probably should be better informed as medical practitioners. But sort of, uh, but this is a societal issue that as a society, we have created this binary that we, for some reason, seem to want to maintain um, sort of uh, even at, at all the, costs. At all costs. <laughs> at all costs, exactly. So, so in as we've discussed 
there there is a big sort of medical part um, of I think p- particularly for for many intersex people um, I, I you know from my own knowledge it seems that maybe the the start of many intersex people's journey is um, through with medical professionals and um, maybe for for some transgender people too and as you said it seems that um, our medical counterparts are mostly woefully um, uneducated on intersex and and transgender medicine what do you wish that they knew what would what would you like them to know I imagine it's it's exhausting um, constantly having to 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 educate doctors when when you see them is is there you know a couple of things that you wish that the medical institution knew or were doing differently i'd i'd like to um again quote the um the human rights intersex human rights australia page that they um their position has been reflected in the 2017 yogyakarta principles um and i would really love for all medical practitioners to really read this document, but in summary, that everybody has the right to bodily and mental integrity, autonomy and self-determination, irrespective of sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression or sex characteristics, that everyone has the right to be free from torture and cruel, inhuman and degrading treatment or punishment on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression and sex characteristics. And finally, no one shall be subjected to invasive or irreversible medical procedures that modify sex characteristics without their free, prior and informed consent, unless necessary to avoid serious, urgent and irreparable harm to the concerned person. That's Mm. what I would like every single practitioner to know and understand. I agree completely. Like, mm. totally. Like, it, it's it's so, and it's been beautifully articulated in Yogyakarta uh, in those statements that you sort of uh, uh, that you um, that you quoted there, Shani. And when you hear it like that, it's to me, it's obvious. This yeah, it is, seems intuitive, doesn't it? It just it seems really intuitive. It, it this really shouldn't be it's like do it's you know, a first day type thing yeah you know you get to medical school yeah <laughs> yeah first do no harm yeah do no harm it this yeah. is not rocket science and sort of and and that's going to be there's going to be different um that doesn't mean that you don't do any vaginoplasties it doesn't mean that you don't do any mastectomies it doesn't mean that you don't do any hyperspadia repairs or, or sort of uh, or you don't do any um ophorectomies or uh or orchidectomies on say someone who has um complete androgen insensitivity syndrome um sort of uh, it doesn't mean that what it means very simply as it as it says it means what it says and until that person gives you consent to do that 
then you don't do anything. When they ask you for it, then you do it because they're actually consenting. Your job as a medical practitioner is to actually listen to them, make them aware of the consequences of those interventions uh, and the likely outcomes of those interventions, um, which are not always inconsequential. Like there's sort of there are complications and, and whatnot that can occur with any type of surgical intervention. I don't think we're sort of any of us are denying, denying that at all. Uh, but most people are pretty good at actually being aware of what's best for their personal health once you explain it to them uh, and, you know, and explain it to them reasonably well. I completely agree, Shani. Like that yoga card, the, the statement just sums it up. Like it's, it's, it's sort of. I, that's why I quoted it because I read it and I was yeah, like, it, it, you, I can't you, put it any better. <laughs> you can't put it any better. Like, and it covers everything. Like yeah. it, it really does cover everything. Like it's not. Uh, I, love how I love how inclusive this statement is. Yes. Um, you know, it 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 covers sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, and sex characteristics explicitly. Mm. Yes. I just love how inclusive that is. Yeah. Mm. They've done such an amazing job. <laughs> uh, look, totally. I mean, this sort of goes, it really comes down to basic respect. This comes even comes down to social things like stolen generations. Like if that child can't consent to being taken away from the bloody parent, don't take it away unless the child is in material sort of, uh, you know, material danger. Well, there is the um, the false arguments that the children are in material danger. Look, yes. It's whatever you can argue really, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yes. Well, I think we can arguably, I think we can definitively say that there are definitely been circumstances well and truly in the past where that the children have not been in material danger and they have been removed for inappropriate sort of I would food. I would love to just make a little clarity there, Kate. It's still ongoing. It's well, not yes, in the totally. Past. That's it. That's exactly right. It does occur still. Mm. Mm. Uh, so that's a valid point. No, sort mm. of. Uh, I thank you for making that. Mm. So I do um, actually come across a uh, an even more succinct statement. I was watching. I've been watching a bit of um, "You Can't Ask That" on ABC. Oh, yes, you recently, and there was a um, great episode with um, interviews with some intersex people, and one of them summed it up with. Um, if they can we leave them be. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, it's not a bad sort of way of putting it realistically. Um, Very yeah, nice. <laughs> I, I think that I think that what I'd actually like to see, like beyond even like beyond that, is just generally like society generally, but medical practitioners just being aware, like the sort of most of them are still stuck in this societal binary of gender and sex, uh, sort of, uh, you know. And then our brains shift to binary, like sort of uh, we want to binarily classify, you know, sort of uh, all Aboriginal people should be dark-skinned and sort of if they're not, then they're white. It's just, it's dumb. It's dumb and it, and it needs to be. Uh, we need to be, we're smarter than that. We should be smarter than that as a society. Um, yeah. So we'll move on to 
our last question, which is normally our magic pill question. So, and uh, sort of the magic pill question, I was thinking that might, I might mix it up. We might mix it up this time. And there's a really interesting little quote uh, from Matrix, Revel- uh, Matrix Resurrections where the, one of the lead characters, Bugs, who is queer as hell, oh, my God, they yes. are gorgeous. They are so good. Um, and they, they offer the red pill, blue pill to the, the Morpheus-style character in the movie. And they go into a short monologue of, yes, I know, it's sort of, uh, it's a complete binary. And, uh, and once I got over the sort of my argument about this being a, a, ridiculous, a ridiculous choice and, and it's a complete binary, uh, the person who was offering it to me laughed. And they said, and I realised that the choice is an illusion. And uh, I thought that was really interesting because it spoke heavily to me because I I think that the uh, choice to be, it's it's often being like trans and transitioning is often framed as a choice. Uh, and, And the idea that you are trans is framed as being this choice. And and it spoke to me because the choice is an illusion. Like it's just, there is no choice to being trans. Like it's just, it just is. And so, Shani, the, the, choice, the choice really is knowing the truth or not. Uh, is really, that's the, that's the choice that's actually being asked in, in sort of uh, in, the, uh, in the matrix and the resu- resurrections in terms of choosing red pill or blue pill, or one of the choices. Uh, Lana is very good at layering things. There's umpteen hundred sort of layers <laughs> to that actual, um, to, that, uh, to that scene and even the scene in the original movie. One of those layers I just want to point out has nothing to do with weird-ass red pill male men's rights activists, okay? It's unequivocal, <laughs> has nothing to do with that. We had a meeting, the Trans Illuminati had a meeting, we checked with Lana and Lily, it's got nothing to do with that, all right? So sort of uh, leave that aside. Um, but, so but the choice is, is do you know the truth about who you are? Sort of, uh, and and the Neo has been searching for the truth and eventually finds it. Sort of uh, in the same way that Bugs found it and Morpheus found it, in the same way that sort of uh, I was probably searching for a truth for a very long time before I found it. Forty years, long time, <laughs> but sort of uh, seems like a very long time. Uh, so, but you do have a choice to, in a way, kind of ignore the truth. Uh, and especially because of my invisible mm. yes. um, intersectionality yeah um i 100% choose truth i hold authenticity in very high regard i switch off from people who are being inauthentic quicker than you can you could say inauthentic. Mm. <laughs> I, there are, there I, are so many yeah. of them, though. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, 100%, I choose truth. I choose authenticity. I 
would not have it any other way um, as difficult as the path may be, as difficult as the path has been. I value where that's brought me and the person that it has made me. Do we feel, guys, that, and my apologies if everyone is happy being called guys, I'm sorry, about this in the gender. Friends, <laughs> folks. Friends, folks. Um, do we feel pirates? Folks, pirates. Oh, uh, I was going to try and say mermaids, but that's kind of gender. Sorry. Um, <laughs> unicorns. Do we feel um, that's gone off on a tangent? I'm going to have to cut that out. <laughs> so, do we feel, now I've lost my train of thought uh okay yes sorry do we feel that that pathway is always going to be one that is because uh, it is painted and it's it, it i think it is painted even within sort of uh, stories such as the matrix it's painted as the harder path does it need to be the harder path should it be the harder path do we grow more because it's a harder path? oh my god i've asked so many questions there Forgive me for jumping in here, Cam, but I see that the paths are not harder or easier. They're just different because if you don't choose authenticity, then it's hard work living a lie. It's hard work to maintain a facade that is not your own. So I don't necessarily see that as the easier path by any stretch of the imagination either. Um, and everyone has, everyone has a choice in a way. I know that we just said that yeah, there is some no things choice, are not a choice, but, yeah, but that choice is an illusion. Um, but everybody, yeah, chooses to be authentic or not. And there are, there's consequences to everything, good and bad. So, um, I think that it's just learning to live with the consequences and, accepting those and being and I think everyone's trying to look for contentment everyone's on a journey to self-acceptance or at least they're trying to be mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that yeah I, I yeah I don't see I don't see the paths as one harder than the other I think they're both got their own challenges and their own perks in different ways yeah I agree completely um I think that we can be, I think that the thing that we can be told that's hard is not fitting the mould that society tells us is is the easy path. But then, as you say, the the really tough thing is the burden on, on yourself of not being authentic and not being who you are and the huge toll that can take. Um, that can really just wear you down. Um, so, yeah, I I agree completely. Mm, it's like a choice between either external conflict or internal conflict, isn't it? And sort mm. of, uh, and I think that neither is a, neither is an easy pathway. Uh, I don't know if you can grow. I just feel like unless you hold, unless you strive for that authenticity, I just don't see how you can grow if you're if you're not being authentic. Yeah, struggle. struggle I I may have had a very 
privileged experience of otherness um, and marginalization. But again, majority of people, and I have I have curated a very accepting Facebook group of people. Um, mm. They all match my political views. Um, <laughs> love, the, love the silo. <laughs> love the Facebook silo. <laughs> exactly. Um, but my experience has been that people are incredibly keen to learn and be as accepting as they can be when they're given the opportunity and when they are not, when they're not punished for not knowing something, um, then they're much more likely to, yeah, come along with you on that journey in a way. Um, And I know that that's not been everybody's experience. Um, As I said, I may have had a very privileged um, journey up to this point, but so far, um, you know, being intersex, being pansexual, yes, they are invisible passing characteristics, um, but I do tend to wear them loud and proud and um, out in society and, and everything. And, and so far, you know, the most people, um, especially in metropolitan Melbourne, um, yeah, are definitely more curious than unkind yeah i think that's the really interesting way of looking at those really interesting different way of looking at those paths as well the the one path of of living authentically and as you said kate maybe there are some external conflicts but you do have that opportunity to to reach out and be a part of a community or build a community and be a part of something bigger and have those supports Whereas if you're not perhaps not living that authentic life and having those internal conflicts, it can be a really lonely, lonely thing, I think. Um, and that's, that's really hard. You know, humans are such social creatures that um, I think we, we really thrive when we have a community that embraces us and supports us. Absolutely. I'd sort of, I, I love that collection of ideas about community. I think you're right, Cam. Like you sort of, uh, whilst there might be those, some external conflicts, you can reach out to community and connect. We might leave this episode there. And so thank you very much, Shani, for joining us. It has been absolutely wonderful, Shani. Uh, thank you for, and my co-host, Cam, Oh, my God, so good to see you. Sort of uh, just wonderful to hear your voice and see you again. Uh, It's just so looking forward to the day when we can travel. (laughs) We can just. It's, yeah, I think that connection, isn't it? It's connection. We just, we as humans, we all want to connect. So thank you very much, listeners, for listening to us and connecting with us. And but that will be it for this episode of the Veterinary Kaleidoscope. We will see you next episode. And uh, you stay safe uh, and uh, be happy and healthy. Thank you, everyone. And bye from me. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.